morning. I met Matt, I think we dialed in like January 2016. There was a worship kind of seminar up here. He came up from Sioux Falls, uh, which our sister church Emmaus Road. Um, and I really liked him then, and I, I still really like him now. He is a, he is a, a dear brother, and, um, and over the course of that time, there was a sense and a call to pastoral ministry. Um, and, um, and so a little bit about Matt. He was raised in Sioux Falls. He met his wife, Jamie, at Northwestern in St. Paul. They got married, moved back to Sioux Falls. They have three children. Uh, in 2018, they, they moved to South Carolina and then um, uh, transitioned in 2021 to Louisville to attend the Simon Grace Pastors College. They've since returned to Sioux Falls in June 2022. He's currently a pastoral resident there at Emmaus Road uh, Church. Um, he's going to be he's teaching part-time at Sioux Falls Christian High School. Um, he's just days away from finalizing his ordination uh, and as an elder in Sovereign Grace uh, in there at Emmaus Road. And so I, it's been a joy to see God at work in him. I've benefited from his fellowship, and I know Emmaus Road is deeply benefiting from his gift in serving that church. And so I know we are going to benefit this morning as he comes to service in the word. So I'm blessed to call you brother and friend. So would you guys welcome Matt Groon this morning? Thanks, buddy. Yes. Oh, good morning, everyone. And this really is such a joy. Uh, I bring with me all the love and affection from Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls. Um, We love this church, and we love praying for you and that the gospel would uh, work in and among you. And it is, I think Philippians, I was just over there this morning and thinking back on, um, just last week, as Nate said, of when we were gathering for the Regional Assembly of Elders, I'm just reminded of Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So from Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, we love this church and we love our partnership with you in Sovereign Grace and this is a joy. So, welcome. It's just so good. To, I love, this is great. So, please turn to, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Nate was kind of giving a, a run-up of my story, which is complicated. I, I grew up in Sioux Falls, born and raised in Sioux Falls. Met my wife here in Minneapolis, which was the farthest I had moved away. Moved back to Sioux Falls. Got plugged in at Emmaus Road Church, loved it, and then my wife, who's from South Carolina, had always wanted to move back, and so we moved back in 2018, and thinking, all right, that's it for pastoral ministry, (laughs) Um, and I joined the family landscape business, which you can imagine me out landscaping. (laughs) That's that's terrible in the heat, Uh, but in December of 2020, I received a call. Now, when people hear December 2020. I think it's possible that when most people hear that, all they hear is the year 2020. What a year that was. (laughs) What a strange, wild, revealing year that we experienced. That year is is memorable for many reasons, as I'm sure there are reasons that you remember 2020 as well, but it was that year, specifically in December of that year, that I received a call from Greg Dernberger, who's the senior pastor at Emmaus Road Church, 
saying something to the effect of, what do you think about leaving that nice little setup you have down there in South Carolina and moving your family to Louisville, Kentucky for 10 months and then back here to Sioux Falls to join the team at Emmaus Road Church? Woof. Uh, for that to, the effect that that had on my family, we were living, we had just built a house on 100 acres of family land about 500 yards down the road from Jamie's parents, and it was the setup. And now, I had been feeling this call towards pastoral ministry, and then out of the blue, Greg calls me and says, what if you move to Louisville, Kentucky, and then back to Sioux Falls? Now, now that conversation sent Jamie and myself down a path that has led us all the way to where we are now. And if, as it was for most of our country, the year 2020 represents a year of uncertainty of the future, that would most definitely be true for me and my family. For the next seven months, we discussed, argued, prayed, made lists of pros and cons, asking, should we do this? What would it even look like? We were very comfortable right where we were, a beautiful home in sunny, warm South Carolina, right down the road from her wonderful parents near family with cousins. The beach is two hours away. Those things exist. Beaches exist. How are we going to survive with no income for 10 months in a city and a state that we've only ever driven through, and now we find out we're expecting our third child? There's just no way. And maybe you can relate to us in some way. Big decisions loom ahead of you. And whatever you do will have significant effect on you and those around you. Or you're in a season of suffering and wondering, where has God gone? Do you remember back in 2020 when the first rumblings of the lockdown were all beginning, everywhere we were, everybody did one of three things and probably all three. They bought guns, they bought ammo, and they bought toilet paper. <laughs> the, the rush to the grocery store and the gun store was incredible. So much so that rationing on those things was happening everywhere. But why those things? The future was uncertain, and people did not want to be caught unprepared. And now, we look at what's happening globally, three years later. What's happening in our financial systems, what's happening locally in our schools and in our hospitals and our jobs and our states. And one might be tempted to ask, what is happening? And where has God gone? Will he provide for us? And how can I continue to pay five dollars for a dozen of eggs? And I found it to be true in my own life that nothing destabilizes my faith in the Lord faster than financial worry. That brings a unique suffering that causes me to doubt God's goodness and his provision. But, as we're going to see with the Israelites, when, when I doubt God and his provision in the future, I have to first forget all that he has already done for me. I forget that he has always kept his promises, and he has said that he will hold me fast until the very end. So do I trust that? Exodus chapter 16 falls right kind of in the middle of the story, in a very interesting point in the story of Israel. The book of Exodus so far had consisted of the Israelites, the promised people of God, dwelling in slavery in Egypt, and God announcing his intentions to save, him. That's, save them. That's chapters 1 through 5. In chapters 6 through 11, that rescue plan is executed through the display of the Lord's divine power in the plagues. 
his gracious mercy in the Passover, Exodus chapter 12, and the Israelites' eventual, eventual plunderous exodus from Egypt, culminated in the incredible parting of the Red Sea and the destroying of the Egyptian armies, and ending in chapter 15 with the glorious and majestic Song of Moses, sung by the entire nation, recounting the wondrous savings of, saving works of God. But if you've ever been to a, a concert or a sporting event, or a movie where something incredible has just taken place, there's always that awkward moment, right, when, when the lights come up and everybody just starts filing out and back to their daily lives. And here at the end of, at the end of chapter 15, through chapter 16 and into, the chap, into chapter 17, we have a new scene in the story. The glow of the exodus has started to fade, and the Israelites are staring at the harsh reality of the Sinai Desert. God has made promises of getting them all the way out of slavery, but will he make good on his promise to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey? Feels like a long way to walk with two to three million people. (laughs) And the narrative shifts at the end of 15, after the Song of Moses. And what's recorded next is three separate scenes of Israel grumbling and complaining and God graciously providing for them. All this takes place in the first months after their exodus from slavery. And today, we are going to zoom in on the second and largest section in chapter 16. So, follow along as I read Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We believe God's word is effective, every word. So we're going to read from his word. They set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, You shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. 
And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. And they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Oh God, we need your spirit to open our eyes to see the wonders of your word. Would you bless that preaching of your word and may hearts accept by faith all that you have promised. In Christ's name, amen. It is worth noting that the book of Exodus was written to the second generation of Israel, of the Israelites. The ones recorded in chapter 16 are the parents and grandparents who never made it to that promised land. And I believe Moses is meaning to communicate to the second generation of Israelites, and ultimately to you and to me, this main point. The Lord proves himself faithful in the midst of our fears, and he deserves our unwavering faith. The Lord proves himself faithful in the midst of our fears, and he deserves our unwavering faith. And as we journey through this narrative, we're going to see three separate components to this scene. First, the protest, the promise, and finally, the provision. First, the protest. After the tremendous victory of God at the Red Sea, Moses now turns the people east, 
and then begins the journey to Mount Sinai and ultimately to the promised land. And it didn't take long for the glow of victory to fade off their faces for them to realize that they are in the middle of nowhere, walking into the middle of nowhere, to a destination out there. Three days later, they already recognized the significant logistical, logistical issues, namely watering a nation. You can see their fear taking root in chapter 15, verse 24, where it says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Overall, that complaint seems fairly respectful and necessary, right? Verse 22 says that they could not find any water. So they murmur and grumble. And after three days of hiking in the desert and finding no water, I imagine that there was some legitimate panic. But they ask Moses what they should do. And Moses inquires of the Lord, and behold, the Lord provides. Exodus 15, 25 says, And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. However, in chapter 16, we find that three weeks have gone by, and they are hungry. Notice how this protest differs from their inquiry about water. Uh, look at Exodus 16, 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So, What was just at first just, quote, the people murmuring in chapter 15 has now turned into the entire congregation of the people of Israel complaining and grumbling against Moses and Aaron and ultimately the Lord himself. There is another, there, this is another instance where the Israelites reference back to their time in slavery as if it were better to be there than in their current situation. Three weeks, that's all it took. Commentator Victor Hamilton puts it this way. He says, As John Golden Gay remarks, only a few weeks' distance has given a rosy hue to their experience in the slave house. God wants to use this experience to orient his people to the future, but they are locked into their past. God wants his people to remember what can be. They only remember what it was like. The idea of security but outside the will of God, seems preferable to insecurity and uncertainty, but inside the will of God. Isn't that just like us? It's tempting to read the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness and say, how could they grumble? Didn't they just see God save them from the Egyptians by splitting the Red Sea and destroying the Egyptian army? And not only that, didn't they just witness not one or two but ten mighty acts of God in the ten plagues? Didn't they know who this God is? Is he not greater than Pharaoh? Why do they think that they would have gone through all of that work? Why would God have gone through all of that work just to let them die out in the wilderness? It's easy to think that. But remember 2020. (laughs) This is our human nature. One hint of a potential disruption in the supply chain, and what do we all run and grab? Toilet paper. That's the most essential item. Toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Those two things, that's what will get us through the uncertainty of the pandemic. 
What about when the market plummets, wiping out years of gain on your 401k overnight? Or inflation spikes and everything's gotten more expensive, but your income hasn't changed? Or medical bills come in or you lose your job? What about then? With each of those things, question marks are inserted into our faith. And if you're like me, when those things come in, I feel my heart rate quicken. I feel my temperature rise as anxiety and ultimately fear begins to grow in my heart. And like the Israelites, I am prone, what I'm prone to do is to doubt God. Because at the core of all of it, that's what we're doing. We're doubting God, his provision as well as his care. Has he left me to die out here on my own? Fear like faith, is future-oriented. It looks at the present circumstance and then looks out into the unknown and says, I don't know what's going to happen next. I am not in control. The future is scary because it's unknown to us. And all the scary things around us promise to knock us out. And we often believe them. And when fear sets in, unbelief in the God who is in control is quick to follow. We are like the disciples in the boats, in the boat with Jesus in Mark chapter 4. The chaotic windstorm kicks up quickly around them, catching them off guard. And as Jesus sleeps in the stern, seemingly wholly unconcerned with the seriousness of the situation, the disciples cry out, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? And Jesus graciously patiently awakens, calms the storm, and looks to them and ultimately to us and asks, have you still no faith? But in the midst of our doubting, of our fears and anxiety about the future, in the midst of our grumbling, God makes abundant promises to us. And he does the same to the Israelites. Number two, the promise. Like all complainers, the Israelites had exaggerated their situation. They were not on the verge of of starvation. In the very next chapter, you're going to, you could read that they are going to complain about not having enough water for their livestock. So we know they had access to food, but they didn't want that food. Psalm 78, 18, commenting on the history of the Israelites, confirms this when it says, they tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. And in their exaggeration, the Israelites show the depth of the problem to the Lord. Getting Israel out of Egypt was easy. Getting Egypt out of Israel was going to be much more difficult. The issue in the camp was not their circumstances, but their sinful, doubting hearts in the midst of their circumstances. Imagine if our children would complain to us as the Israelites complained to God. Why did you bring me to Costco just to die of starvation? (laughs) Hard to believe, I'm sure. But chances are, we would not respond in that situation the way that God responded to the Israelites. Instead of handing out judgment and discipline, the Lord responds to the grumbling of the people with a promise. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. 
What a promise. The destructive hail that the Israelites witnessed being rained down from heaven back in Egypt has now turned to the benevolent and gracious provision from the Lord. The power of the Lord is undeniable. The warrior king that was the subject of that triumphal song sung in Exodus 15 with the song of Moses, that is at the forefront. But it certainly matters whether you are a friend or a foe of that king. Reigning looks different if you're an enemy than if you are a friend. And notice what is promised. Abundance. I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The promise of God is not to just give them enough for survival or just enough to quiet their grumbling stomachs, to make their grumbling mouths quiet, but it is a lavish pouring out. This God gives good gifts to his children. However, you'll notice that the Lord includes in his promise a condition. Like every promise God ever makes, there is always a necessary condition, and that's that of faith. Look again at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The Lord is ready and willing to pour blessing on his people, to care for them and to provide for them, but he sets conditions to see if they will trust him or not. Are they willing to submit to him and to remain or, to, or remain their own gods? He promises them food in plenty, but just for that day. He will give them their daily bread, but they must trust him and his word that he will provide the next day and the next day and the day after that, after that, just as he had said he would. So put yourself in Israel's shoes. You're, you're hungry, you're tired, it's hot, and Moses declares to you that the Lord has heard your cry again, and he has promised to provide again. After the cursory thanks, I'm sure you are like me, I know I would be tempted to begin to store up some of this provided food in my pantry, just in case. <laughs> yes, God, thank you for your provision, very appreciated, but just in case you decide to not keep your word, I'm going to have a backup. I won't be caught unawares and unprepared, like Americans during the pandemic who stocked up on toilet paper. You never know how much you might need. We don't know the future, but just as the miraculous works of God back in Egypt were meant to be a revelation of the power of God, so too is this miraculous provision. Notice the purpose of what God is achieving in this text. Verse 6, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. According to Moses, this miraculous provision is meant to continue to reveal the Lord and his character to the people. They see his glory and character and care throughout. And God not only promises to provide for them now in the wilderness, but he has promised to bring them out of Egypt, which he already has done, and bring them to a promised land. Look at the promise God made to Moses all the way back in chapter, if you flip over, all the way back to chapter 3 at the burning bush. 
Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of a land to the wilderness to die of hunger? No, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. See, the Israelites were fearful about the future. That's understandable. But they are not following a God who is unknown to them or hasn't proven himself and his word. No. This God has shown over and over and over again that he is faithful and he is working all things in accordance with his will for the good of his people. He hasn't failed them. And, what, and look at what he just did in the Exodus. What they just sang about. He hasn't failed them yet and he won't fail them in the future. So, the question before us, what about me? When uncertainty about the future and fear, when those things come up and take hold of us, we need something sure, don't we? We need some objective, external anchor for our souls to rest in. We need a God who is faithful to his promises and who has made glorious promises to us. And friends, We worship and know such a God in Christ Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25. I'm sure you're familiar, but this is worth lingering over. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body, more than clothing, look look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value? Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, who so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The promise of Christ is to rest in him and his provision this day. Jesus knows that fear is future-oriented, but so is faith. Faith looks to the future and acts, not blindly hope, hoping that some unknown thing will catch us, but faith looks to the future, assured that God will do what he said he will do because of all that he's already done for us. And what the Israelites saw with their own eyes, we have something more sure. We have Christ crucified. As Paul amplifies in Romans eight thirty two. he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So trust the promises of God right now because he cares for you. And because our God is a, God, a good and faithful God, his promises come true. Finally, number three, the provision. Sure enough, God does exactly what he said he was going to do. The Israelites' complaint was that back in Egypt, they had meat pots and access to bread, but now God covers the entire camp with meat and bread. And they are confused with what it is God has provided them, but Moses reminds them what they must do. They must gather. So it is with God. He requires faith to trust his promises, and that faith can never be stagnant. God was not going to drop the bread directly into their mouths. No, they had to look to God and the promises of his provision and then act on faith. In short, they had to gather. And as they gather, they find just as God had said. This is going to be the same case in the future when they get to the promised land. It's theirs, but they need to go and take it, trusting that God will do what he said he would do in fighting for them. Notice, too, that this bread was not just in abundance, like dew covering the entire camp, but it is sweet. Do you see that? Verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. See, God not only gives them something to sustain them, but it tastes good. It's sweet and worth eating. And isn't that just just like him, he, he not only gives gifts to us, not only keeping our hearts beating and our lungs filling with air, but gives us a world in technicolor, a world that is alive with sights and tastes and sound and food that is delicious. This is the God that we serve. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. It required actual faith to trust him each day, to provide what was needed that day, There's no evidence that God made them ration or gave them just barely what they needed to not die. God does not skimp, but he lavished blessing on them. Look again at verse 17 and 18. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Every day. They feasted. Every day, they ate as much as they could eat. Every day, they had no lack. But God is not just interested in the physical well-being of his people. He has not just acted in history to feed us physically, but our Lord has made abundant provision for our souls. Jesus, the very Son of God, when commenting on this scene in John chapter 6, says this, verses 32 and 30, through 35. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God provides for his people. 
And he has given us the only thing that could ever truly satisfy us, his son. Jesus Christ, the bread of life, broken for you and for me. This same Jesus, who was also led by the Spirit into the wilderness, who also experienced hunger and was tempted to take matters into his own hands, yet where Israel failed, Christ succeeded. He is the bread of life, and it's on Christ and all that he has done that we feast And it is in Christ that all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Our God is faithful to his promises. And so, my dear friends, no matter the circumstances, no matter the suffering and the fear of the future that we might face, we know the one who is sovereign over all. And he alone is worthy of our trust and our faith. And this is not just some blind hope, but based on what he has already done in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then an application of that saving works to our souls. He has brought us from death to life and has made us children. And he is a good father that gives good gifts to his children. So, trust this God. Turn to him. He is infinitely worthy of our trust. Let's pray. Oh God, you have provided so abundantly for us and for our souls. Where else would we go? Where else would we turn to? For you have the words of eternal life. And you have given us that word in Christ who we now feast on. Whose body is broken for us. Whose blood shed on our behalf. And when we eat of him and when we drink of him, we are satisfied. So God, thank you for being such a good father who gives such good gifts. Would you infuse in us faith, faith to trust you above all else, faith to look to Christ in the midst of our circumstances, trusting him above all else, for he has never failed and will never fail. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.